Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 18. So grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. We talked about uh, 1 Samuel 18. I gave you the outline of the book. I'll give it to you again. You got a pen? Got a pad? Got your heart? Ready to learn? Uh, Here's an outline of the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 7 is written about who, saints? Okay, y'all, it's on the screen, okay? Y'all like, oh, it is there. There it is. 1 Samuel chapter 1 through 7 is written about who? And 1 Samuel chapter 8 through 15 is written about who? And Saul is the first king of Israel. And 1 Samuel chapter 16 through 31 is written about who? David. David. Remember I told you last week, uh, if you were not here, you can either pick up or order the CD, depending on if it's available in the bookstore, uh, from last week's uh, teaching. But I told you um, last week that there are more chapters in the Old Testament dedicated to the life and the ministry of King David than any other character in the Bible. Uh, More than Abraham, more than Joseph, more than Jacob, more than Moses. David is mentioned over 1,000 times in the Bible. Uh, Did you do your homework from last week? I gave y'all homework. You obviously didn't do it because y'all got mighty quiet on me. You don't even know what the homework was, do you? The number 40 of Moses. There, one person was listening last week. And uh, the homework was this, and for those of you that were not here, the homework was this. You were to go and to do a study on the number 40 and Moses and the life of Moses. And if you did your study, then you know Uh, that Moses' life breaks up nicely into three 40-year periods. Write it down if you don't have it written down already. Moses' life breaks up nicely into three 40-year periods. Acts chapter 7 is a reference for you. Uh, Before Stephen was martyred, he does a fantastic job at uh, summarizing uh, the life of Moses. The first 40 years, Moses learned that he was a somebody, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter and raised in Pharaoh's house. He received the best education and was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. The first 40 years, or age 1 through 40, he was in Egypt learning that he was something. And those first 40 years are important years. According to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 26, Moses made a choice by faith to suffer the affliction with the people of God. Hebrews 11, verse 26 esteeming the reproach of Christ greater than the treasures in Egypt, for he looked to the reward. So those first 40 years were important. The second 40 years, from age 40 
through 80, Moses was getting, write this down, his BSD degree. His BSD degree. What is that? The backside of the desert, you know it. When Moses was about 40 years old, he saw an Egyptian beating one of the Israelites and he killed him. Acts chapter 7, again, is your reference. Moses thought the children of Israel would say, thanks, deliverer. Well, that didn't happen. The next day, two Israelites were arguing and they say, oh, are you going to kill us like you killed the Egyptian? And Moses took off running into the desert. And then he moves to a new career, 40 years on the backside of the desert, from prince and ready to be Pharaoh to shepherding Jethro's flocks. For 40 years, he spent hanging with the sheep. Interesting, the word desert means to speak. Isn't that interesting? The word desert means to speak. And sometimes it's in that quiet place. Am I right about it? It's in that quiet place that we hear God. In the desert. I actually believe before you can really be used of God, you have to get this degree. Y'all didn't hear me. I said before you can be used of God, you have to get this degree. You've got to spend time with God. You've got to be broken. You've got to be um, wholly dependent on God. And I think, I hope, I'm near done with my degree. (laughs) Y'all didn't say amen. (laughs) I hope I'm near done because uh, it's been a long education Um, With those 40 years, uh, without those 40 years, we wouldn't have the third 40 years where Moses learned that God can do great things with a nobody. So the first 40 years, learning he's a somebody, the second 40 years, learning he's a nobody, and the third 40 years, Moses learned that God can do great things with a nobody. But it's during those third 40 years that Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt into the wilderness for 40 years talking about 40 and Moses. Moses was with God on the mount for 40 days and how many nights? 40 nights. Exodus 24, 18 tells us that. Moses was again with God for 40 days and 40 nights. Exodus 34, 28. Moses led Israel from Egypt at the age of 80. Two times 40 is 80. Moses died at what age? 120. Three times 40 is 120. Deuteronomy 34, 7. And so Moses is also a very interesting character in the Old Testament. But again, there's more written about David than there is about any other human being in the scriptures. If you've been with us, you know the book of Samuel moves us into a time of monarchy and prophetic ministry. Uh, Samuel is the last of the judges and the first of the prophets. The backdrop of Samuel is during the time of the judges, when every man is doing what was right in his own eyes, and the spiritual condition of Israel was at an all-time low, and God wasn't speaking to Israel. If you've been with us in Samuel, you know that chapter 16, the prophet Sammy identified David as the new king of Israel. Uh, Chapter 16, verse 12, if you want to look there, the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, this is the one. And then Samuel took a horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. But in contrast, look at verse 14 of chapter 16. Look at verse 14 
of chapter 16. In contrast, the spirit, the same spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. A distressing spirit from the Lord came upon Saul. Chapter 17, the story of David who kills Goliath in the valley of Elah. If you were with us last week, we began chapter 18, yes? And we covered 16 verses. And I want to just kind of briefly go over some of those verses with you tonight before we pick up in uh, verse 17 of chapter 18. I've titled this sermon, Flying Spears, Part 2. I want you to look at chapter 18 in verse 1, saints. Now, when he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own. So after David killed Goliath, Saul promoted David to head musician. David is about 18 years old and doing ministry in Saul's court. David is a part-time armor bearer and a part-time warrior. Verse 1 tells us when he finished speaking with Saul, after the conversation about the battle with Goliath, the soul of Jonathan, we just read it, the soul of Jonathan was knit with David. Jonathan had a deep love and respect for David, and they trusted each other. Nothing impure we talked about last week. Jonathan and David was, were comrades in arms. Jonathan and David were alike. They were both seasoned soldiers. Are you listening? They were both men of God. They were both bold. They were both men of faith. They were both men of action. Look at verse 3 of chapter 18. Their friendship was deep and their hearts were knit together and Jonathan loved David as his own soul. In verse 4, Jonathan made a covenant with David and Jonathan took off the robe and he gave it to David. And Jonathan was saying, David, here's the royal robe that is mine by birth, but yours by divine choice or nation and God's sovereignty. Look at verse 6. David is returning from the battle with the Philistines. Are you looking at verse 6? Say amen. amen. David is returning from the battle with the Philistines, and the Pentecostal ladies come out singing and dancing. That's what I call them. Singing and dancing just a bit. Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Look at verse 8. Saul was angry because they ascribed 10,000 to David and only 1,000 to Saul. I hear Saul whining, don't you? Well, why they only ascribe 1,000 to me? They gave more to David than me. Whining. And from that point on, David is launched into a period of mistreatment and discouragement and pain because Saul is jealous. Look at verse 9. Saul eyed David. Are you looking at verse 9? Saul eyed David from that day forward. Why? Because he was jealous and envious and bitter and suspicious. And he hadn't dealt with that bitterness. Listen, we talked about this at great length last week. Bitterness is insidious. Bitterness is like cancer. It will eat you slowly alive. You have to deal with bitterness. Bitterness will always cause you to be suspicious of other people. And everything that person does and everything that person says becomes an issue. Just hearing that person's name causes you to evil eye that person. 
because you've got bitterness in your heart toward that person. And oftentimes I've found this in the 18 years that I've been pastoring, Jim, I have found that people have bitterness toward other people and the other person doesn't even know it. So you're being eaten alive like cancer with bitterness and the other person is going along singing the song. They ain't think about you. And every time you hear their name, something creeps up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Something creeps up inside and you just get a bad taste in your mouth toward that person. And many times, listen, many times that's just Satan knowing that's your sin button. You got to watch out for bitterness. You got to watch out for the evil eye. So Saul was bitter and Saul's mind is filled with suspicion. So everything David says is heard through suspicious ears. And I'm going to say this again and again and again until somebody hears me. The enemy at work in the church is bitterness. And one of the tools in the enemy's bag of tricks is suspicion toward other people. Again, I've seen it over and over and over again. We won't accept one another. We won't love one another because of bitterness. And at the same time, we ask Jesus to accept us and to love us. And to forgive us. How is it that we can go to the Lord and say, God, forgive us. Accept us. Receive us. If we are not willing to forgive others and accept them and receive them. I ain't talking to nobody here. So we need to be willing to be biblical and love people. It would be another interesting study, homework, for you to do a study on, I'll do it for you, on, on, on one another. Because I know y'all ain't going to do it. That's why I'm going to do it myself. Because y'all ain't, ain't going to do it. I, I know y'all ain't going to do it. That's why I do it myself. God, listen, is into one another. Now, you might not be, but God is into one another. God is into the body. God is into the body of Christ working together. And, and, and I was talking to one sister, and she was telling me that she was, um, you know, doing some works um, with, just, just say, Habitat for Humanity and those kind of parachurch ministries. And, 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 and these works, all of these things that she was, is doing has, has taken her away from um, the church, because she's busy about doing those works, and those are all good works. But can I tell you something? Those works and those kinds of things in parachurch ministries are never, ever, ever to replace the work in your part in the body of Christ. Is that it? Is that all the clapping? Okay, fine. Should never replace the work. You are a part of the body of Christ. We are members of one another. Amen. You might be a hand. But if you decide you're not going to be in church and you're not going to go to church because you're going to help out, and don't get me wrong, please don't y'all hear me. Please, help the community. Be a blessing. Be a witness. Be a good witness. Be the aroma of Christ. 
Were y'all with me on Sunday? Be the aroma of the Lord. Are you feeling me? Don't get me wrong. But don't allow that to replace your part in the body of Christ. If you're a hand and your job is a, a work of God, God has you to do something, and your part in the body of Christ is a hand, then you need to be here to do the work of the hand. Because the hand can't do what the foot can do. The hand can't be the head. You look real stupid with, your, with a hand on top of your neck. I'm just trying to bring it down low, put the cookies on the shelf where the kids can get them. That's why I like Wednesday night. Y'all like family. I just chat. I just chat. I'm all over the place. The Bible has so much to say about one another. Negatively, listen, negatively and positively. Negatively. Don't challenge one another. Don't complain against one another. Don't devour one another. Don't envy one another. Don't judge one another. Don't lie to one another. Don't speak against one another. And positively, accept one another. Admonish one another. Bear one another's burdens. Build up one another. Care for one another. Comfort one another. Confess your sins one to what? Another. Encourage one another. Fellowship with one another. Greet one another. Honor one another. Be hospitable toward one another. Humble yourselves toward one another. Be kind toward one another. Love one another. You are members of one another. Pray for one another. Be at peace toward one another. Have the same mind toward one another. Seek after that which is good for another and serve one another. Show forbearance to one another. Be subject to one another. Teach one another and be tenderhearted toward one another. Do you get the point? God is into one another. You might not be, but God is. Into one another. And we should be about, all about one another because Jesus is all about you. Look at verse 10 and 11. David sees Saul flipping out. So David brings out the guitar to play some music and Saul throws a javelin at David. Are y'all looking at verse 10 and 11? Interesting. David held a guitar to worship. Saul held a spear to throw. Verse 11 tells us he did that twice. This means that Saul threw the spear twice. This means that Saul missed twice. This means that after the first miss, the spear laid on the floor, which means David had the opportunity to throw it back twice. But you see, David trusted God to take care of Saul. Somebody once said life is 20% of what happens to us and 80% of our reaction to what happens to us. Did you get that? Life is 20% of what happens to us and 80% of our reaction to what happens to us. Someone once wrote this. I really like it. Cripple him and you have Sir Walter Scott. Lock him in a prison cell and you have John Bunyan. Bury him in the snows of Valley Forge and you have George Washington. Raise him in abject poverty and you have Abraham Lincoln. Strike him down with infantile paralysis and he becomes Franklin Roosevelt. Burn him so severely that the doctors say he'll never walk again and you'll have Glenn Cunningham who set the world's 
uh, record uh, for one mile record in 1934, deafen him and you'd have Ludwig von Beethoven have him or her born black in a society filled with racial discrimination and you'll have Booker T. Washington or George Washington Carver call him a slow learner, retarded and write him off as uneducable and you'll have Albert Einstein. 20% what happens, 80% of your reaction. And maybe it's around this time that Saul is throwing the javelin that David wrote Psalm 7, 1 and 2. Oh, Lord, my God, in you I put my trust. Save me from all those who persecute me and deliver me, lest they tear me like a lion, rending me in pieces while there is none to deliver. Perhaps. Well, we pick up in verse 17. Saints, 1 Samuel chapter 18, picking up in verse 17. If you're looking at verse 17, say amen. amen. Then Saul said to David, here is my older daughter Mirab. I will give her to you as a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? But it happened at that time when Mirab in verse 19, Saul's, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, that she was given to Adriel, the Maholathite, as a wife. Now Michael, Saul's daughter, loved David. And they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him. Underline that. <laughs> and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly. And say, look, the king has delight in you and all of his servants love you. Now therefore become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? And the servants of Saul told him, saying, in this manner David spoke. And then Saul said, thus you shall say to David, y'all get that, this back and forth conversation, thus you shall say to David, the king does not desire any dowry, but 104 skins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies. But Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. So when his servants told David these words, it pleased David. For real. It pleased David. Well, I have read this before. I just hit me right then. It pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not yet expired. Therefore David arose and he went, he and his men, and killed not 100, but how many? 200 men of the Philistines. And David bought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king. That it might become the king's, that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him Michael, his daughter, his wife. Thus Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David. And that Michael, Saul's daughter, loved him and Saul was Still more afraid of David. So Saul became David's enemy continually. 
And then the princes of the Philistines went out to war. And so it was whenever they went out that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul so that his name became precious. In the Hebrew, highly esteemed. So let me have your attention. Saul's fear causes him to expose David to danger. But his fear also caused Saul to expose his daughter. Remember, Saul made a promise, and if you were with me in chapter 16 and chapter 17, you remember when Saul had made a promise that whoever killed Goliath got his daughter to be his wife. And now he's saying, I'm going to give my daughter Mirab um, to wife. Saul is ruthless and will use anyone and anything to get what he wants, even his own daughter. Now, why does Saul want David to marry his daughter? Remember, we were talking about the various spears. Here's a spear of danger. Saul wanted David to marry his daughter because then the Philistines would know that David was related to the king, which would cause them to to come for David and to, to get to Saul. So he's using his daughter as a pawn. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. You may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.